Um, I, I, there's no way to get through everything that I that uh, that this subject entails. This it right here is the message from Sunday. Are my notes down there, Ariana? Are those my notes? That would be my notes. Okay, can I have those? <laughs> All right. I, I don't. She just kind of smiled at me like I have them. Like, thank you, thank you very much. All right. I'll tell you what. I'll get your car fixed. How about that? Okay. All right. Ephesians chapter number six. Um, and oh my goodness, there's my baby, both of them, my wife and the little one. When I don't see him for a couple hours, it's just weird. Um, anyways, my wife now has an appendage, also known as Olivia, growing out of her. So uh, good to see you girls. Love you. Uh, Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me for just a couple of moments. Uh, we're going to start a series tonight on, on spiritual warfare. And, um, mm, man, it's such a broad subject in the scriptures. And what I want to try to do tonight is, is kind of isolate why this matters in regards to your enemy. And um, I, what I don't ever want to do is I don't ever want to give the devil more... Um, airtime than God gives him himself, right? So, so I think one of the mistakes that um, preachers make, and I think sometimes it, preachers can be like politicians. Let me explain what I mean by that, and, and, and not necessarily in a good way. Um, if you get so concerned with how many likes do I get on my channel, how many followers am I gaining, I want to be honest with you guys. I'm not an internet pastor. I could care less if tomorrow nobody watched. I really could. I care about feeding the flock that God's put here. Having said that, if we can minister to other folks, praise God. I'm all for it. Uh, but what I want you to understand is that sometimes when preachers get into this subject, they become so sensational about it that what they do is they, they go into the direction of, of spending so much time on Satan himself that the Lord Jesus Christ gets lost in it. The idea that we have victory gets lost in it. Uh, I'll put it to you this way. Uh, the conclusion that some uh, people come to when they get into this subject is we got to have uh, uh, deliverance services and bring people forward who've got demons in them and then I'm going to lay hands on them and the demons are going to come out. How many of you guys have ever seen anything like that before? All right. Um, let me ask you this. Where does the Apostle Paul instruct you to do that in the New Testament? You know what the answer is? He doesn't. Um, and so if anyone were to lay claim to that, what they would do, I know you're standing, bear with me a little bit. Um, what they would do is they would actually go to Mark 16 or some other place in the Gospels where Jesus Christ was preaching a gospel, a kingdom gospel, and showing signs and showing uh, matters of deliverance from devils and things like that as a means of proving that he was, in fact, the Messiah. That's not where we're at today. That's already been taken care of. Do you guys understand that, rightly dividing the Word of God? Where we're at now in the New Testament church is a little bit different. And so what we want to do is understand why Paul talks about this and why it matters to your life. Look at Ephesians chapter number 6, and look, if you would, at verse number 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. Uh, finally, my brethren. I like when Paul says finally. He'd make a great Baptist preacher. You know how many times he says finally, and there's two more chapters after that? Uh, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, and in the power of His might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. And we're not going to look at all of this tonight. I want to be clear about that. Tonight is introduction. Can't get into all of it tonight, but I want you to notice that, that it says whole. That's an adjective. It describes the armor, which means there are different pieces in the armor. And if you don't put it all on, you leave yourself open. It says, wherefore, taking you one more time, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And Christians, I believe we really are in the last days, and it's going to take you doing everything that you can to stand. And you say to stand against what? To stand against the spirit of the age, the spirit of Antichrist, and the devil himself. And uh, we're going to talk about that tonight, and hope that God blesses. I'm going to ask Brother Sean if you would open us up in a word of prayer, sir. Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. We will talk later on about what the Bible says about devils, plural. Uh, I, don't, I don't judge someone for using this word, but just know that the Bible never uses the word demon or demons. Uh, it's a transliteration from, from the Greek demonion. demonion. Uh, but, but, but we're going to talk about devils and things like that. But tonight what I want to do is I want to I focus a little bit more on, on why Paul is talking about this thing called spiritual warfare. Now understand this. It's not a new thing. Uh, there, there are examples of spiritual warfare in the Old Testament. However, it is never really called that. It's never called out as such. You just read it, and with the understanding of the New Testament, what you read, for example, in Daniel, where, where, where uh, it talks about Daniel praying, the prince of, of Persia withstood him so many days, and, and that prayer that was going up, and, and the devil trying to stop that prayer from getting through, and trying to stop that answer from coming down, and all those things. You look at that as a New Testament Christian, you go, yep, spiritual warfare. And you can glean that because you understand things that Paul wrote about the subject. If you did not have the New Testament, you probably would not be able to isolate that event and Daniel go, yep, spiritual warfare. Let's be, let's be honest. One of the main things that you have to learn to do when you first get in the Bible is just learn things like context. More times than not, when people get messed up on doctrine, they don't know context. What do I mean by that? Who is talking? Who are they talking to? What are they talking about? When does this take place in time? And, and so when Paul writes this, Paul is writing to Christians, New Testament Christians, about this subject matter. That's important. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. And by the way, it's Wednesday night, what? So we look at a lot of verses. Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to encourage you, by the way, if, you, if you're not used to doing this, can I encourage you to do one of two things? Bring a Bible pen and take notes in your Bible. If you don't like to do that, get a notebook, because we're going to go through a lot of Scripture, and here's what will happen if you don't do that. You'll sit there and go, this is good, I, I needed this, and then about 30 minutes later, uh, on the way home, you're going to have forgotten half the verses, and it's okay. We're not judging you for that, but that's why you should write it down. Again, midweek Bible, Bye. right? In Ephesians 3, look if you would at verse uh, number 1. Ephesians 3, verse number 1. For this cause, I, Paul... The prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. By the way, great thought here. Uh, sometimes God allows you to go through trouble for the benefit of other people. You read that again? Read it again one more time. For this call, I, cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for who? For you Gentiles. In other words, I'm going through trouble to be a blessing 
to you. Yeah, that's a, that's a great principle to get a hold of. Uh, look at verse 2. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me, uh, given me to you, word, uh, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, that when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages, this is what I want you to look at, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. You say, what am I getting? What are you trying to get at here, preacher? What I'm trying to get at is this. There are certain things that are revealed to the Apostle Paul that are coined and termed a certain way that help us identify them throughout the rest of the Bible that we're not necessarily called by that name anywhere else. And so you're going to see this a number of times. Look, if you would, at 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You know, I think a lot of Christians think when they think of spiritual warfare, they think of someone foaming at the mouth, you know, or like someone's neck going, you know, or, you know, the green vomit coming out of someone's mouth as their head spinning in 360, you know, or whatever. Guys, I'll be honest with you. I've seen more uh, demonic activity at church than I have in poltergeist movies. Now, you may go, preacher, who's the devil in here? That's not what I mean. I, what I mean is this, I don't want you guys being like at the Last Supper, like, who is it, Lord? You know, uh, that, that's not where we're going tonight. What, what I want you to understand, though, is this. Uh, for example, when uh, someone's living in sin and you sit down to counsel with them and you start talking and they got glazed look on their face, born again Christian, and you say, you understand what you're doing is wrong? I don't see anything wrong with it. And then you go, oh, that's just flesh. Maybe, but I think when we dig, dig into this, they're going to find out probably not just flesh. Um, how about this? You're, we're, we're getting toward the end of a service, and someone's under conviction. Two people raise their hand about getting saved, and 40 people all of a sudden have to run to the bathroom. I'm not saying you're the devil because you have to go to the bathroom. God help you. I mean, you sit through two hours of preaching. I know it's a long time. I understand that. But what I'm saying is, do you understand the devil can use those things? You say, what is that? Spiritual warfare. How about this? Now, if you think I'm being personal, that's a little close to home. How about this? Go knock on a door. Hey, we're here from New Heights Baptist Church. Just want to invite you to our church, you know, so on and so forth. Everything's cool. You start talking about the gospel. Start getting in the Romans road. Start telling someone about their soul. And, they, and you say, would you like to be saved today? All of a sudden, the phone rings. The dog barks. The mailman shows up. The plumber shows up. The IRS shows up. The federales show up. I mean, it does, everything happens at one time. Do you think that's a coincidence? So, so it's not just like, okay, someone's got a devil, they're foaming at the mouth, you know, and, and we've got to deliver them in the name of Jesus. It's not just that stuff. It's, it's all the other th- little subtle things that the devil does to work against God and to work against the work of God in your life. Let, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at what, how Paul uh, uses this term spiritual over and over and over. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look if you would at verse number 3. All right, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not what? You know what the opposite of that is in, the, in, 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 in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3? The opposite of that, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 3, you know what it would be? Spiritual. All right, you have the carnal, the old nature, the flesh, that which I can see, versus the spiritual, that which I cannot see. And I'm going to tell you right now, the hardest fights you're going to ever have in your life are with the things you can't see. 
The enemy that you can't see. Look, I don't, I don't know how many of you guys, you know, read history or some of you were closer. As Brother Dennis would have actually lived through it. I know he's not here tonight. My dad lived through it. Again, not here tonight. Um, but these uh, soldiers, these uh, men that went to Vietnam. You know what they said the hardest thing about Vietnam was? Whenever they got attacked and ambushed, they could not tell where the enemy was. And when you're fighting an enemy that you cannot see, that you cannot identify as quickly, you're in trouble. You have to have not just the right weaponry, but the ability to recognize when you're being attacked spiritually so you can fight back the right way. You know what most people do? Most Christians, because you're just living your, your life, you're going to work, you're paying your bills, you're answering the text, you're answering the emails, you're doing life, as they say, and you just live in the realm of the human and the physical so much that when attacks come your way, it's usually six months down the road, you go, oh... That's what that was. And by that time, you missed it. Anybody, can anybody relate to this? All right, look what he says here in verse number four. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. You say, what is that? Stuff that goes on up here. It's, it's, it's a fight you cannot, you can't always see the enemy physically. Sometimes you see the manifestation of it. But the idea is this. It is a spiritual weaponry that you are being given. And, and it is a spiritual battle that you're fighting. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, fight the what? Man, politicians use it all the time. They go, oh, this person's been fighting the good fight. They have no idea what they're talking about. You know what the good fight is? It's for the cause of Jesus Christ and preaching the gospel. And I can tell you this right now. If you don't experience any spiritual warfare, I can tell you what it is right now. I don't think it's because you're lost. If you're saved, I think you're... I, I, I despise going to church where you constantly have to thrown in your face that if this isn't happening, you're not saved. I think, listen, I believe this sincerely. A, a Christian, a saved person can do anything a lost person can do. I'm not saying you should try to prove that, but it is possible. Or else Paul would not have wasted his time writing Galatians chapter 5 and 6. Having said all of that, I, I, I think what happens oftentimes is that Christians are so used to living in the physical, they don't recognize, look, you are a spiritual being. You weren't just made for the, for the, for the flesh. When God puts Adam and Eve in the garden, he makes it, you know, you understand this, body, soul, and spirit. He breathes in the, in the nostrils the breath of life. There's that spiritual being, and that life comes from God. You have a generation that's being turned into animals. And, and I'll tell you what I, I've watched. I'll watch a mob of 50 or 60 young people beat up somebody for some stupid thing, and everybody posts it online. And those kids wouldn't have the guts to do it if they were on their own. But you get in a mob mentality, everybody turns into an animal. Well, if you told generations of children they came from animals, there's no spiritual matter, there's no eternity, there's no God, these are the results. You as a child of God know better though, don't you? But the problem is you're not living. You're, you're, not, you're not in heaven yet. So you're trapped in this, and the Lord's trying to wake you up and go, hey, the real problem is not just what you can see. You're a spiritual being. God is a spirit, John chapter 4. Your enemy is spiritual. The Bible says he walketh about uh, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Your weaponry is spiritual. Your battle is spiritual. It's all spiritual. It's not carnal. And I'll tell you this. When husbands and wives have problems that are saved, you know what you assume? They're the problem. When Christians have problems with each other at church, you know what they assume? The other person's the problem. You know the real problem is? You know the real enemy is? It's not, either, it's not the other person. It's the devil. 
It's spiritual wickedness in high places trying to get in there and mess everything up within the body of Christ, within your home, within the relationships God wants you to have. You say, what is that? Well, I'll tell you what it is. The devil gets in there and he messes things up because he wants to do what God, basically, he wants to undo everything that God's done in your life. You know what his job is? Look at John chapter 10. His mission is pretty clear. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. You know, before you were saved, your spirit was dead. I'm sorry. You know what? Go to 1 John chapter 2. I'm sorry. Go to 1 John chapter 2. We'll go to John 10 in a moment. 1 John chapter 2. Before you were saved, you know what? Your spirit was dead and you were not a threat. You weren't a threat to the devil. But once you get saved, there's, there's two reasons why he attacks you. Number one, your position in Christ. And whether you value that tonight or not, I I don't know, but I'll tell you this right now, the Lord values it. And He saved you, and the moment He saved you, you're seated together in heavenly places with Christ. Because of your position, and also I'll say this as well, because of your potential to reach other people for the sake of the gospel, the devil sees you, and you go, well, preacher, you're trying to elevate everybody's ego. We're not all that much of a threat. I'll just say this much. If you're doing what you're supposed to do as a Christian, you will be. Look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I'll tell you what, if you don't want any trouble from the devil, just be a mediocre, lukewarm Christian. Truth. And, and, and most Christians kind of live there. And I, I, I tell you what, someone I, not that long ago, someone that got saved was like, well, if this is the, how it's going to be, then, man, should I have gotten saved? And I, I just said this. I said, well, let me throw it to you this way. I'd rather have God, or I'd rather have the devil as my enemy than God. Because in the end, God wins. And, you don't want that. Look at First John chapter 2. Look if you would at verse 13. I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men. These are uh, 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 different stages of life within the church for, young, for men. I write unto you young men because you've overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because you've known the father. Notice what he says here. Ye have overcome the wicked one. Question real quick. Is that present tense or future? All right. Look if you would at verse number 14. I have written unto you fathers, because you have known him this from the beginning. I have written unto you young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you. And one more time, ye have overcome the wicked one. Well, you know who that is. That's the devil himself. And he says, present tense, ye have overcome. Now, I understand this, and we're going we're gonna, to, let me, let me just kind of bring this uh, up to speed over here on the, on the board. I understand that in relation to the realization of complete and final and eternal victory, it's not until over here. It's not until eternity. I, I get that. Uh, but I also want to remind you, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, thanks be to God which giveth, giveth, not, not, not it sh- he shall give, giveth us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, now there's two things that, that have to be done in order to, 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 to realize that victory in everyday life. Number one, you've got to realize your position in Jesus Christ. Number two, you need to live up to what God's telling you to live up to. And if you don't, you won't experience any friction. But I'll tell you this, I can't tell you how many times people come to church, they get saved, they get serious about God, maybe they get in discipleship, maybe they start coming on Wednesday nights that they weren't before, and all of a sudden they got marital trouble, they got family trouble, they got this trouble, they got that trouble, and they're going, what's going on? You know what the answer is? The closer you get to God, the closer you're going to get to the devil. That may not sound like something you want to hear, but it's the truth. You know why a lot of Christians don't want to get close to the Lord? Because they know it's going to cost them something. Now, now I would tell you this. When we're going to see him someday, it's going to be worth it all when we see his face. 
So the battles you're going to have right now, they're, they're, they're short-lived. They're temporary. But I, I want you to understand, you can have the victory over the wicked one right now. But listen, over here, it's going to be automatic. Over here right now, it's not automatic. <laughs> you're going to fight for it. Now look at verse number 16. Look what it says. There are three elements uh, that, that are against you. The world, look at, uh, I'm sorry, verse, uh, yeah, verse 16, verse 15, sorry. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the Father, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, you just read about the wicked one. You read about the lust of the flesh, and you read about the world. You know, you know what that shows you? Those are your enemies right there. You've got you to fight, and that's a separate subject. You've got this, the world to fight, and that's a matter of you not conforming to it. But I, I want to point out that the devil's mentioned more than once in this subject, in this, in this passage. Uh, there was an old Anglican preacher named J.C. Riley. He said this, The saddest symptom about many so-called Christians is the utter absence of any, anything like conflict and fight against spiritual apathy in their Christianity. You watch your favorite show, tears stream down your face. Listen to a certain song, you know, I just remember the good old days, tears. Watch your show. <laughs> Watch the fit your game. Woo! Come to church. Are we done yet? Is it lunch time? You say, what is that? Spiritual apathy. You have to fight it. Uh, they eat, they drink, they dress, they work, they amuse themselves, they get money, they spend money. They go through a brief round of formal religious services once or twice a week. But of the great spiritual warfare, it's watchings and strugglings, it's agonies and anxieties, it's battles and contests. Of all things, they appear to know nothing at all. Let us take care that this case is not our own. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, you may not realize it, but there's a battle going on. There's a battle going on for the souls of men. There's a battle going on, if you're saved, for your mind. And the devil cannot touch your soul. Get a hold of this. He can't touch your soul. But I want to be real, real realistic with you tonight. Um, there's a lot of other things in your life you can touch. And I'm not saying that's scary. I'm trying to preach Bible truth and give you Bible truth in, on this subject. I, I think some people believe, well, I'm saved now, therefore the devil can't touch me. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I can't touch it. Like, it's, it's not like that. It, that is not how that works. And, and I, would, I, would, I would say, look, if that's where someone's coming from, if your proof text for this is greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, the answer to that is you can't take your soul. That's clear. Because you are born of God. That's in the same passage in 1 John. The party that's born of God is not your flesh. It's your soul. It's your spirit being born again and you having the salvation of your soul. But there's a part of you that is completely open. And if you don't put the right things in your life, you'll have access points. Let me, let me, let me give you this about thieves. You know what police always say when you're in a, you ever see these, uh, when you go into a, a mall uh, garage parking lot and they'll say, please don't leave valuables in your car. They'll say, lock the car, things like that. Well, why are they saying that? Because if a thief's walking by and it's there and the window's down, you know what it does? It makes it very easy to go in. If you, if you do your part as a believer to shut off the access points to your life, it makes it a little bit harder for the thief. You know what a thief wants? The quickest buck he can make. 
You know what the devil wants? The quickest sucker that he can get. The quickest uh, uh, fallen Christian that he can get. The quickest person that will say, you know what? I- I'm no longer walking with you. I-, I got my eyes over here. I got my eyes over here. I got my belongings just sitting on the dash. And I got the windows rolled down. You know, some of you would never do that in Denver. You know better than that. I just read a report about a family traveling from Utah, moving to Kansas. They parked their truck and trailer hotel in Denver. Aurora, I'm sorry. Here in the sweet city of Aurora, Great, sweet, God-loving people here. And they left their, their, their truck and trailer in their hotel parking lot, woke up in the morning, went there, it was gone. He said, oh, it's terrible. Yeah, it is terrible, but you know what? That stuff's temporary. The things the devil wants to re- uh, steal from you are, are, are eternal in value. Well, he can't have my soul. No, he can't, but there's a lot of other things he can't. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and look, if you would, at verse number 18. And you know what the hardest thing for, I, I think, for us to get a hold of is... is the things that you can see right now, those are not lasting. They're not lasting. I'm not saying that you guys and girls shouldn't go to the gym. Nothing wrong with that. But I'll tell you right now, you can get as swole as you want. You're going to get old and fat. <laughs> and your hair is going to fall out and your teeth are going to fall out. And ladies, if you think, oh, he's just so handsome, he's so ripped. Yeah, he won't be that way forever. Uh, and, 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 oh, I just, you know, she's just so foxy. She's so fine. She's so good looking. You know, go to the nursing home. Go to the nursing home. I mean, I've looked at pictures. I'm like, whoa. She's, she was beautiful in 1955. You don't keep that stuff forever. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's temporary. When you get so hung up with what's temporary, you cannot get a hold of that which is eternal. And this subject won't mean a whole lot to you if that's where you're at. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, uh, verse number Uh, 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are, where are your eyes set tonight? For the things which are seen are, the things which are not seen are, understand that your heavenly father describes himself as a spirit. The Bible describes angels as ministering spirits. The Bible says about the devil himself, he transforms himself into an angel of light. The Bible gives a number of names to the devil, calls him the devil in 1 John 3, uh, verse 8, calls him Satan in Job chapter 1, calls him the dragon, the serpent, Satan, and the devil. It's like the, the quadruple effect there in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. So when we talk about de- the devil, we're talking about Satan, we're talking about Lucifer, we're talking about the, the different names, same person. All right? And understand he has a mission in your life. Look at John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And it's personal. It's personal. You know why it's personal? Because the Lord brought you out of his family and brought you, in, brought you out of the devil's family and brought you in his own family. The Lord kidnapped you in Jesus' name and adopted you into his family. And it's personal with the devil. And you know what he sees when he looks at you? Whether you realize this or not, he sees something he hates so much because he sees Jesus Christ in you. And he knows he can't have your soul. So he works at every other place that he can. Look at John chapter 10. This is the threefold ministry, if you want to use that term, of the devil in your life. John chapter 10, look if you would at verse number 10. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Uh, A society that says things like, for example, uh, you know, it's, it's better to put someone out of their misery 
like you see in certain European countries and the idea is starting to come over here. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Euthanizing people. Uh, that's not of God. When you see a, a society that, that is focused on death, I can tell you this, it's satanic. And I, I think, I think again, when I use the word satanic, some people are like expecting like, you know, 666, you know, and, 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 you know, people like cutting themselves and whatever else. You don't have to have that to be satanic. You know what is satanic? One of the most uh, powerful uh, things in the life the devil does, in, uh, devil does in your life, he gets you to doubt what God says. That's satanic. You'll hear something at church, read the scripture for yourself and know it's right. And then you'll walk away and go, yeah, but, man, that was written a long time ago. And things have changed. I mean, things are fluid now. Maybe we just need to, you know what that is? That's, that's satanic. If you don't believe that, look at what happens when Peter pushes back against what the Lord tells him about his own life. He says, get thee behind me. John 10, look if you would at verse number 10 again. The devil's ministry is such, why did Christ come? I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly to steal. To steal what? Steal your joy. Steal your passion for souls. To kill your zeal for Jesus Christ. To destroy your family. To destroy your mind. To destroy your idea of that which is right and that which is wrong to confuse you. That's his role in your life. And it's personal for him, whether it's personal to you or not. And the, it's personal to the Lord as well. You say, why? Because he sees the battle that goes on that you ignore every single day. The Bible says about, about the devil, he comes, look at Job chapter 1. Let me go, take you there. I'm trying to be mindful of time. Job chapter 1. The devil's mission in your life is to steal and to kill and to destroy. Job chapter 1. Now, I want to be very clear. Just a little spoiler alert. This, this is not being said because you have no way to fight back. We're going to get into all the armor of God and all that. You have means to fight back, and you do not have to be a victim. You can be a victor through Jesus Christ. Amen. All right? But, but having said that, you need to understand, this is what he wants to do in your life. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Understand, it is personal to him, and he's watching. Looking for a way to get in. Job chapter 1. Look, if you would, at verse number 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Now, this whole thing is an interesting conversation. Do you know where it starts? It starts with the Lord telling the devil, Hey, have you, you seen my servant Job? You ever seen that guy? Man, he's, he's a good man. He's walking with me. And the devil basically goes, Well, you know why he fears you, don't you? Because you, you blessed him. And you give him everything that he wants. Look, look, if you would, at verse number 10. Hast not thou made an what? You know what that is? That's a, a means of protecting someone. That's putting, uh, in, in modern society, we think of hedges as bushes, right? But you can build a hedge with stones. You can build a hedge with all kinds of material. The idea is putting some, some kind of defense where someone cannot just come in as they want. You may hear someone pray, Lord, put a hedge of protect some i heard a kid one time put a wedge of protection they didn't know what they were saying but they were trying to repeat what their parents said you know put a hedge of protect you say what is that that's something that protects whatever's on the inside of the house from being attacked from whatever's on the outside and, and notice he says this has not made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side how would the devil know that unless he had tried to come in 
Now, now let, let me say this. Uh, Job is a very unique and special circumstance in the Bible, and I don't want to take away from it. But I do want you to understand that, that you do not, you do not as a believer want to get out from underneath the authority and protection of the Lord. What I mean by that is this. When you become your own authority and you cannot submit to God's authority, you're in enemy territory. That's what the devil feeds on. And when you do that, man, that hedge is gone and in he goes. Now, this situation is one that I, the only reason I point this out is because I want you to understand that there's, there's one of two ways for the devil to come in. Number one, the Lord allows you to be tested. I don't like that thought, but Job's a great example of it. Paul's a great example of it. And you know what those are? Those are two men in the Bible who are very spiritual and close to God. Would you not say? All right. Well, who here wants to be like Job? Man, I don't want to be like Job. Not the carnal side of me doesn't. But I can tell you this much. At the end, Job comes out and he says, uh, I'll come out better than gold. You know, Paul says, our light affliction. Paul bugs me. <laughs> He's been beaten and shipwrecked and stoned. He's like, eh, child's play. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm like, you know, I got a flat tire. What am I going to do? Oh, God, help me, you know. It's like, like, it's okay, you know. But our, our idea of affliction in 2023 versus back in the day, very different. Very different. The other one is this. The other way the devil gets in is you opening the door. You may go, well, I, no, Christians can't do that. Uh, I know some of you know the scriptures very well in this, but for some that may not be as familiar, please, Go with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. You, you can understand the enemy's mission in your life is to steal, kill, and destroy, and you can open that door. And I'm going to tell you this right now. By the grace of God, if you're a child of God, those doors can be shut, but oftentimes damage is done that you can't always undo. Are you listening? You can, you can open doors in your life, and by the grace of God and through His mercy... There's healing, there's restoration, there's forgiveness. But I'm going to tell you right now, sometimes when those doors open and you allow the enemy in, there's damage. Let, let, me, let me put it to you this way. How, how many of you that are older, I say older, I mean this respectfully, let's just say uh, you're a parent or you're a grandparent. How about that? Or, or maybe even, in, just let's just say you're an adult. Let's just say you're an adult, you're paying your own bills, living on your own. Would you not attest to the fact that there are doors that you've opened in your life and you found healing, and you found restoration, and you found forgiveness, and you found God's grace, and all that stuff. But now that the door's closed, the damage is still done inside the house. You know what's better to do? Keep the door shut. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, and a passage I think many of you are familiar with. And we will look at in depth, not tonight, clearly just getting, just skimming the surface tonight. But we're, we're going to look at in depth some of the, the, the tools and, and schemes and devices that the devil uses in our lives. Look at Acts 5 and look, if you would, at verse number 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. Now, I, I need to do this because... I think if we don't do this, you won't understand. 
Like, I'm thankful. I don't know about you guys. I'm thankful for chapter and verse markings in my Bible. I really am. However, one of the mistakes that people make when they preach on a subject is they forget to tell people, what, what's the context? Where is this all coming from? Why do these people even do this? Go back to chapter 4 and look, if you would, at uh, verse number uh, 35, verse 34. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them. Now, I am going to tell you right now, if this went on today, we probably would call it a cult. Am I, can, can, we, can we be real about this tonight? We would absolutely call it a cult. The only difference was this was actually based on truth. All right? Versus Sung Young Moon or whatever Brother Dave was talking about. He just, I'll never forget one time Dave was here after he'd been here for a couple months, and he's telling me about his experience at this other church, and I was like, bro, that was a cult. He's like, I guess it was. <laughs> look, at, look at chapter 4, verse 34, uh, uh, verse 35, and laid them down. So they sold their houses and lands, and they laid down the money at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Now notice, uh, the reason this is different than a cult is they didn't keep the money and build a building or take the pastor and give him a $5 million mansion and a Rolls Royce and, you know, private jet. Now, that, that's cult stuff. You know what they did? They took the money. They laid at the apostles' feet. And so it was put under the authority of the local church. And those apostles took that money and they distributed to the needs of those poor saints in Jerusalem. They met the need of the church through other parts of the church. Those parts that were more comely helped those parts that were less comely. Can I get a witness? All right, well, well, because of that, in chapter 5, when, when they see that, that everyone's doing this, uh, well, look at chapter 4, verse 36, I'm sorry. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed who? All right, you know what he did? You know where he starts off his journey? You don't even know about this guy. I mean, this guy is the guy that's responsible for Paul getting all the way in. If it's not for Barnabas, you don't have a Paul. You know how he starts his, his whole entire Christian life? You know where he shows up on the scene? He sells what he has and gives it to the Lord. Then in chapter 5, because they'd seen this, and they go, oh, that's how you get recognized. Oh, that's how you get to become spiritual in the eyes of other people. Here's what we're going to do. Husband and wife team, the power team that they are, they sold their land. They come to the apostles. They go, here's everything. Everything. It's all of it. And the Holy Spirit whispers into Peter's ear, they're lying. And Peter locks eyes with this guy. And look, if you would, at verse 2, they kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let me just say this. It was never mandated that they had to give everything. The problem wasn't the amount of money they gave. And if you walk away from this study going, Pastor wants us to sell everything, and bring, I didn't say that. I don't believe that. It's not the point of the message. The point was, these people had an opportunity to do something, and they wanted to uh, make it a little bit more lavish in the eyes of other people. They wanted to uh, uh, kind of, uh, not you know, kind of a little white lie, like not a real big deal, just a just small thing, right? And, and look what, what Peter says in verse number three. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath... Fill thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land. Do you realize, as a born-again Christian, and these people are, there's nothing in the Scriptures that says they're lost. 
as a born-again Christian, you can allow a door to be opened and Satan to fill your heart. And listen to me, what happens with the full heart? Whatever's in the heart comes out the... And you know, usually where this happens is where you put your authority over God's authority. And you decide you know what's better than God. And so what ends up happening is, you'll read the passage. Look, if you would, at verse number four. Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? Miss Cindy, do you like that? Whiles. I think that <laughs> the Lord put that in there just for you. Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine? Now, it's interesting. Interesting thought. He says, you conceive this in your heart. Verse prior says Satan filled his heart. You know what happens? Someone starts thinking about something and the Lord goes, stop it. Don't do it. Don't go there. Don't think on that. And you start thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking. And eventually Satan just goes, that's what you want. And before you know it, you're saying things that are anti-Bible, anti-God. And you say, where does it all come from? Well, it, it starts in the heart. And you need to be aware that the enemy wants to steal and kill and destroy everything that's right in your life. Look at Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. I want to talk to you about the enemy's origin. The enemy's origin. Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. I, I am not going to rush this. Um, there's a part of me that says, hurry up, get through it. Uh, but I'm going to tell you right now, I want you guys to get this. I'm more concerned with you getting it than us getting the entire lesson taught tonight. If we've got to split some of this up in the next week, I'm good with that. I want you to get it, and I want you to chew on it, and I want you to think on it, and I want you to understand you have a real enemy that wants to destroy and steal and kill from your life. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 28, Ezekiel 28. The enemy's origin. You say, where, where does the devil start? Well, look if you would at Ezekiel 28 and verse number 12. I know some of you are familiar with this. Maybe review for some, but maybe new for some. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. And say to him, thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now, now look what it says here. Now, not a hard question. Was the king of Tyrus ever in the Garden of Eden? Who was in the Garden of Eden? Let's name the people. Adam, Eve, God. Who else? So, so this is not Adam. This is not Eve. They're dead. And, and this is not against the Lord because this would be unrighteous to say this about God. So there's one option left. Look what it says here in verse uh, uh, tw- uh, 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx. And it goes into talking about musical instruments being built into this being. We talked about that in our series on music. Uh, verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that, that what? All right. Co- covers what? That's a question you ought to ask yourself. What exactly is the anointed cherub covering? Now, I don't have time to go into all of it, but if you were to go back to Ezekiel chapter 1, and you look at Revelation chapter 4, there are four beasts that are mentioned that are around, you know where they're found? Around the throne of God. There's an ox, that's a domesticated beast. There's a lion, that's a wild beast. You have an eagle, that's a flying 
uh, 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 creature that God made, and you got the pinnacle of all creation, man. Those are the four that are there. I can tell you one creature or one group that's not. Amphibians, reptiles, they're not listed. So when the devil shows up in the garden, how does he show up? Now, I don't believe that these were ever mentioned as having covered the throne. They're listed as being around the throne in Revelation 4 and Ezekiel 1. There's one that's missing. You say, where'd he go? Down he went. And I don't mean to hell. I mean, he was cast out of heaven. But you know what he was doing up there? He was the musical. He was the choir leader. No, we're not looking at Brother Eric going, ah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's, oh, okay. that's not the moral of the story. But the, the moral of the story is this. He had a place in heaven. He had a place up there. Uh, look at Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14. Now, Isaiah 14, for sake of time, it goes into things that are well, well, well beyond where we're at now. It goes way on the future, past the tribulation, uh, to the second advent, and clear on through. Uh, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. However, uh, for sake of, of simplicity, let me just say that what you're going to read in Ezekiel four, or Isaiah 14 excuse me, uh, has to do specifically with how the devil fell from heaven. Look at Isaiah 14, verse number 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O what? Son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I want you to underline this, I will ascend into heaven. Now, let me help you young men out a little bit. You ought to have a little bit of fire in you. You really should. You're supposed to protect. You're supposed to conquer. You're supposed to, and I mean that in a respectful way. And, and if you're here going, I think women should conquer too. Let me just, let me explain something to you. Men and women aren't the same. They're not meant to be the same. And if you think that it's a sexist statement to make, then why does God say that Eve was deceived in the transgression and Adam knew exactly what he was doing? We're not the same. Listen very carefully. I know what some of you feminists are thinking right now. Uh, you know, I'll well, never forget. One time I had a, had a, had a man get upset with me because I was talking about the feminist movement. And, and it was a man, not a woman, that got upset with me about it. And I said, look, I, I'm not against equal rights for women in the workplace. I'm not against any of that stuff. That's all great stuff. But I'm going to tell you right now, that's not the goal of the feminist movement. It never has been. And the reason you don't know this is because you don't know history. You know what that stuff's rooted in? It's rooted in Genesis chapter number 3. I'll be like God. I, I'll, I don't need authority. I'll be my own authority. And I can tell right now, some of you are getting real uncomfortable, and I'm going to park here for a little bit longer. <laughs> because some of you need to hear this. It's not a, see, the problem with this is it, for generations, it's been men against women. Foolishness. We're not supposed to be against each other. We bring different things to the table. But let me tell you right now, look, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm sorry, but if you gave me a choice, if you gave me a choice between, I love you, Miss Rachel, and the Lord, I really do, but if you gave me a choice between her being my defender and Tim in a brawl, I take, take, take Tim. Yeah. I love her in the Lord, but you understand what I'm saying? Like, you, listen, what I'm get, we're not the same. We're not meant to be the same. And to tell young men, listen, you want to know why young men are taking 30 years to mature instead of like 18 like it used to be? Because you told them they didn't need to be there. You told them that women could do everything without them. And now we're like, how come I can't find a good man? Because you told them you didn't need them. So we're meant to be different, all right? I know that's not even part of the message, whatever. But the, 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 it, no, 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 again, not better. Not man's better or not woman's better different 
And God brings them together. And, and listen, I mean, one more thing for you young men as well. If you think for a moment, I'm sorry, I'm just, don't, just ad-libbing. Okay, I'm just ad-libbing here. If you think for a moment that because you're dating a girl that she's supposed to submit and follow you, you're an idiot. You have not put a ring on the finger. You've made no commitment. You've done nothing to improve her life except for have her look in your face for, you know, several weeks. Until which, Miss Anita liked that one. Until, or Vanessa, one of you girls back there was laughing. Until which time you put a ring on the finger, don't expect her to be like, oh, I'm going to follow you. No, she's, why would she do that? You've done nothing to make a commitment. Until then, don't throw your weight around and go, I'm the man around. If you've got to say you're the man and you've got to tell her to follow you, you aren't. Okay, so that, now, can we move on now? I, I, hit, I hit everybody, equal opportunity preacher, okay? But the, what, what I want you to understand is this, that as it relates to this, this I will, I will, I will, young men get to a certain age and they want to just exert their kind of I will. And there's nothing wrong with that except for you better not do it against God's authority. What, listen, the, the, the story of Isaiah 14, do you know what it is? It's a story of pride. It's a story of someone saying, I'm not listening. It's a story of someone going, I'm above the throne. And you know what? I don't need to listen to one sitting on the throne. I'm above it. I am my own authority. I am my own God. So kids rebel against their parents. And, and you have this problem in, this, in society today. And kids will talk back and, and give the middle finger and yell at a teacher. You say, what is that? It's a problem with authority. I'm not, I'm not telling you there aren't bad cops. Pro- I'm sure there are. Right? And I love it when those bad cops are evil. Okay. I have less faith in doctors than I do cops. <laughs> I, sorry, I just, that's where I'm at. That's just me. All right? But you, you, the, the point is there's bad, there's bad you know, fruit everywhere. Uh, l- listen, if I were to say all teachers are bad because some teachers are idiots, so you wouldn't, that's not fair. You know what I want my kids to know? Until it's time an authority crosses God's authority, you shut your mouth and you follow. Amen. Now, when they break against God's authority, you've got to go against it. Acts chapter 4, we ought to obey God rather than men. Amen. It's biblical. But whenever you basically put yourself in a place where you are above God's authority and you say you don't need God's authority... I've watched this. I watched this before, and I'm just like every one of you in here. When someone tells me to do something, you know, automatically what I want to do is the exact opposite. I just, you know, speed limit says 55, <laughs> 56. <laughs> right? Like, I just don't, I don't have to do that because, I, you know, I'm my own person. I've seen this in church. You got a Sunday school teacher. And some kids being unruly, and the parent blames the, the, the teacher instead of the kid. Instead of going to the kid, hey, listen to your authority. Her telling you to sit still is like not against God. Maybe if they learn to do in Sunday school when they're 20 and they come in here, they're not. Because they learn to sit still. You see, what's that a result of? Submitting to authority. You know what the devil wants? The devil wants you to go against authority. Why? Because that's what he does. See, here's what you've got to get a hold of. The real battle right now is this. The battle is, God, once you're saved, God shapes you and conforms you into the image of Jesus Christ. And every day that you're walking with the Lord, there's more of his image that comes out, and the devil goes, I hate that. Why don't we just conform it in a different direction? And he starts going, yeah, you don't need to listen to that. 
Yeah, you don't have to submit there. You don't have to follow that. You can kind of skirt around that. You know, what's the big deal? Who's going to know? And then you find yourself six months down the road going, I'm not going to attend my Bible. I don't want to come to church. I don't get it anymore. I was over here. What happened? Uh, I'll tell you what happened. Look at First Timothy chapter 2. Is this making any sense? See, see, some of you thought when we talk about spiritual warfare, you're like, oh, who are we going to lay hands on? Uh-uh, no, that's not really where we're at. Look at First Timothy chapter 3. I read this. I thought it was kind of fitting. Pride is at the bottom of all great mistakes. You, you want to get a hold of God? Humble yourself. You want to tap into something not of God? Be filled with pride. First Timothy chapter 3. Between the... Uh, screams from below, and I don't mean hell, <laughs> downstairs, and the joyful uh, noise that's coming from the nursery. It, it just, guys, pray for a building. Would you guys do that? Okay, First Timothy chapter 3. Look, if you would, at uh, verse number uh, 4. Talking about the qualifications of a bishop. That's a pastor. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Right. Now right away, if your heart's not right, ladies, and you read that word rule, it's going to bother you. But if you look at the person of Jesus Christ, you know what Jesus does not do? I mean, you know what? Jesus never demands anything. You ever notice that? From the, from the people, he, he tells them what to do, and if they want to do it, they do it. If they don't, they don't. You know what Jesus never does? He never forces someone to do something. You know who does do that? The devil. The greatest leader there ever was is Jesus Christ. You know what David does? Da- David, in his great picture of Jesus Christ, he gets people to do crazy stuff for him. You guys ever dated a girl that you just did stupid stuff for because you're just so in love? And I'm looking at you hoping that it's your wife that you're just smiling about right now. All right? And you know, you know what, Dave, what happens? In, uh, David's in a cave one time. You guys know the story? He's in a cave one time. And his mighty men hear David kind of just talk out loud, like, man, I just wish I could get a well from that, that, uh, a drink from that well of Bethlehem. And he just says it in passing, not thinking much of it. And a couple of his guys go, hey, did you hear that? You think what I'm thinking? You know what's, on, you know what's between them and that well? An entire army of Philistines. And you know what those men did? David didn't make them do it. He didn't even ask them to do it. They risked their lives to go get a drink of water. And then they ran back and they're high-fiving. Yeah, you see that guy? You, you know, like they're having a great time. They get there and they go, here, David. And David goes, I can't drink this. And he pours it out to the Lord. Now, some of you guys were the guys that broke through the army. You're like, drink it, drink it now. But, but he poured it out as a sign of, I'm not worthy of this. I can't drink your blood is basically what he says in so many words. I, I can't do this. Why did those men do that? Because they were told to? Because they had to? No. They wanted to. That's what David inspired in those men. A good leader, Jesus Christ is the best, picture of a man and a wife, Christ in the church. He doesn't force the relationship. He shows the way. So, so gentlemen, when it says rule your house, it's not you walking around talking about how much of a ruler you are. Uh, it's a matter of leading by example. For if man know not, know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Now look at this in verse 6. This is what I want to show you. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, 
he, what's the next word? Into the condemnation of the devil. Can I point out to you, that's a message for a preacher. If a preacher can fall, can we not all fall? Pride's at the bottom of all great mistakes. The devil's origin is rooted in pride. He says, I can do it. I don't need God. I'll be my own authority. Uh, I'm going I'm to close with this thought. Uh, go to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to talk about next week. We'll get into this. We're going to talk about the enemy's power. And there's some really important things when it comes to that that you need to get a hold of. We're going to talk about his power. Um, but I, I want to I make sure we kind of get this moving in the right direction. And look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We understand where the devil comes from. We understand that, that someday uh, his rule will be over. Uh, but, but in the meantime, it's a battle that we have to fight against. It's a person we need to fight against. Um, but I want to make sure that your eyes and your focus are not on the devil. That's not the, fo- the purpose of tonight. The purpose of tonight is not to go, oh, where's the devil? Oh, where's the devil? You don't need to go looking for him. Okay? Some of the ladies are like, hey, man, I married him. No, that's not what we mean either. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, I, what I mean is that you don't have to go looking for trouble. If you're doing the right thing, trouble will come your way. Um, you ought to be looking to the Lord. And the power that you should be looking to, to learn about more than anything else is not the power of Satan. There, it's something weird about that. You talk about the power of God and people are like, huh, you know, whatever. You know. How about the power of Satan? Like, ooh, what about it? <laughs> right, Ouija board, tarot cards, Illuminati, skull and bones, human sacrifices. Ooh, I want to learn about that. Why do you want to learn so much about that? You ought to be simple concerning evil. Now, having said that, look at uh, Philippians chapter 3. What you ought to be aiming for is not so much to learn about how to, how to get a hold of just power for power's sake. I'm, I'm going to explain this next week, but here's what, I'm going to give you this thought. The power of God is to, is to be used for the help of others. The power of God is for the purpose of helping others. The power that comes from the devil is selfish. And I'll prove it to you next week. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Look, if you would, at verse number 10. That I may know him. And I can tell you this right now. The him is not the devil. The him right here, Philippians 3, verse 10, is Jesus Christ. That I may know him and the what? Power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. What we're aiming for is to know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection more than anything else. The only reason we're going to learn about the power of the devil is so that you don't fall into the trap that he sets for many believers. We'll stop there. Let's all stand. Thank the Lord for an opportunity to go through some scriptures tonight. Some of this is kind of not necessarily new material, but I think just maybe, if anything else, smelling salt. Just a reminder, you're supposed to be engaged in a spiritual battle. You do have a spiritual enemy. He is real. It is personal to him. It should be personal to you. Because if you're not willing to fight him, he's going to take more territory in your life. And by the grace of God, by the end of this study, my hope is this, is that you realize not only is it real, but what the tools and resources that God's given you so you can fight back. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. And uh, Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to to study. Lord, uh, just to learn a little bit. Lord, we, uh, we thank you that we're not... Uh, victims, we thank you that we don't have to succumb to the power of the devil. Lord, we thank you that uh, 
Uh, you've given us the victory through Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that uh, we can put on the whole armor. Lord, thank you that we know the end. We know where he ends up. Lord, we know where, where we end up by your grace. And Lord, thank you for adopting us and bringing us to the winning side. God, I, I do pray you'd help us, Lord, just to have the right mindset, the right heart about these things. And Lord, to, to learn to put up the right defenses, the right walls in our lives, Lord, not to invite the wrong things in and to leave any room for the devil to come in. Lord, we pray that you'd help us, Lord, in these last days to do, as the Bible says, to do all that we can to stand. Lord, may you find us standing when you come back. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you again Sunday. Thank you, Pastor. Absolutely, buddy.